It's now time to go around the nation in Division Three football. And here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. Thanks, Dave, and welcome back to the podcast, everyone. We know you download us a lot, thousands of downloads a week, in fact, but thanks for hitting play. That's the important part and giving us a listen as we talk about week seven of the 2015 Division Three football season. This is the Around the Nation podcast for October 19th, 2015, and it's been a common refrain on this podcast over the past few weeks. Teams that have slid by, played some close games or, or closer than expected games, and have finally had to come back to bite them. In previous weeks, that's been John Carroll, and, and then Cortland was put on the clock, and finally Warburg. And Warburg didn't last long in the hot seat either. They'd already slid down two spots in our ranking last week, a good sign of their support eroding, and this week they fall to earth with a thud. Those are the sounds of Dubuque's Malachi Ward sacking Warburg quarterback Logan Schrader in the third quarter. No better way to celebrate your homecoming with a big win over a ranked foe, and that's what they did at Dubuque on Saturday with the Spartans winning 45-13, to Keith. Yeah, and, and it was not just a, a homecoming win, but a, a win that sent, I guess, shockwaves throughout Division Three because uh, there was a time, I guess several years back, where Dubuque was on the rise, but uh, they've been pretty pretty steady. Uh, the past few years, and um, we certainly didn't see this one coming on Saturday. Uh, Warburg, I, I guess we saw them struggling a little bit to to match last year, where they'd set the bar so high. Um, they've been a team that that you know had Whitewater on the ropes in the, in the playoffs, and it, it played well throughout the season. They play such a strong schedule um, by playing you know Mayak teams um, as well as their uh, their Iowa conference schedule. So. Warburg, we thought had maybe broken through to another echelon, and 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 to see Dubuque not just beat them but to manhandle them was certainly a shock. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I was I was on the same boat with you. I think there, um, thinking that uh, Warburg had, had, was definitely sliding back a little bit. But I still thought they would get through the uh, Iowa Conference schedule unscathed. Um, instead, you know, yeah, not so much. And now Dubuque is in the driver's seat. And and you know that's strange in a lot of ways. Um, because there have been several seasons that we thought the Iowa would be a, a several horse race, and and a lot of times Dubuque was was one of the teams in it, um, but this wasn't one of those years, or, or we didn't think it was going to be. And so now, just like we're seeing across the country in a, in a lot of different conferences, and this was the topic of uh, of Ryan Tipp's snap judgments on Sunday. If you missed that, um, there are lots. There there are really a handful of conferences that are that are up in the air, and Iowa's one of them. Um, you know, just to, to go back to the game itself a little bit, um, to see Logan Schrader held under 200 yards passing, um, you know, Domeyer, that they're Warburg's great running back, uh, only 40 yards rushing. There were, there were, there were just, um, you know, it wasn't just a, a big offensive day for Dubuque putting up the 45 points, but a big day for them defensively as well. And, and, and certainly a, uh, a, a pretty big surprise. Yeah. And not the side of the ball that, uh, that uh, Dubuque's been known for under Stan Zweifel. I mean, he came in as a as a guy uh, who was the offensive coordinator previously at uh, at Whitewater, and then at River Falls, he's definitely an offensive uh, side of the ball kind of guy. 
but yeah, things have uh, things have turned around a little bit, and I think too that um, the the two things that you mentioned really cite uh, kind of really display two of the things that we sort of knew, or at least that we observed early on in the season, is that uh, you know the the Warburg running game wasn't nearly as good with the graduation of a couple of key offensive linemen, one of whom was the uh, D three West Region Player of the Year, um, yep. and also you know not having a lot of playmakers in the receiving game, and uh, Robbie Anstead being the the one guy who could uh, who could really uh, you know light it up and stretch the field, but not having uh, much beyond that. The other thing, Keith, is this blowout loss for Warburg really kind of reminds me of the way in which Warburg broke back into the national spotlight a couple of years ago uh, when they won 41-7 at Illinois Wesleyan in the first round of the 2013 playoffs. Pat, I was sort of glad to, to see the, uh, the Dubuque-Warburg game on Saturday because it wasn't a, a, a slate of games where there were a bunch of top 25 clashes and we had um, you know, weeks on top of weeks where, where – um, the poll, the top 25 had been, uh, there had been some upheaval, six teams, six ranked teams lost both of the previous two weeks. And this wasn't that week at all. There was, uh, you know, there was Gustavus Adolphus and, and St. John's playing, and there were a couple other um, you know, semi-big games, but there really weren't, weren't a lot of huge games. And uh, the, I thought that made it a, a, an ideal week to focus on what I'm calling now the middle class of D3, which is really a, a big um, swath of teams from maybe you know sometimes somewhere outside the top 25 or top 50 to into somewhere above that bottom 50 where there are just a lot of teams that that um, aren't separated by a whole lot you know potentially could win seven games potentially could be three win type of team uh, in a bad year and and I think Dubuque is uh, is really indicative of, of that kind of team a team where if they put it together. They have a good good group of seniors or a good good group of lead, leadership. They stay healthy, um, and then they win a big game. Suddenly, they have a little bit of confidence building now. Um, you know that could be a team that makes a run to a conference title. And uh, and there are there are a few other games like that sprinkled across the country and on um, here in week seven. And we'll get to some of those. But but uh, that, that's what the 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 Warburg blowout loss sort of um, put into focus for me with that. There are so many of these schools in that middle class, and and when they get it rolling in a certain year, you know, it can turn into a big year. Yeah, those are the kind of teams that uh, when we're doing our preseason ranking, they're kind of the toughest to uh, the toughest to deal with. I would guess they probably fall in the maybe uh, from about number eighty or number ninety down to about one hundred and twenty or one hundred and thirty teams that you know you could um, you could you know, flip a coin and they could be 35 spots higher in the rankings at a moment's notice because those teams are so tightly, tightly packed together. Yeah, and, and you look at some of the conferences, the, um, the Skyac is one, Empire 8, the ODAC, the Iowa is usually one of them, uh, where the, the it's not just that the teams are, are um, you know, there's not one dominant team that goes on a long playoff run, but they're really tightly bunched together. And, uh, and, you know, that makes for an exciting season, especially this part of the season. You get into late October, early November, there's, there's, uh, there's a lot on the line for a lot of teams in these conferences. Here at the top of the show, we have uh, one more item about a Division Three elite, and then uh, and another uh, another item that uh, I don't know quite where they where that team falls, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but we have to talk about the streak 
Uh, the streak hit 60 years on Saturday. Kind of a foregone conclusion this year that Linfield would get it done the way they've been playing, but the Wildcats cruised to their fifth win of the season, guaranteeing themselves their 60th consecutive winning season with a 49-7 win versus Willamette. Now, the Bearcats kind of seem to be a shadow of their 2014 selves. Remember last year they won at Linfield 31-28, but this year they're 1-4 with the only win coming versus uh, PLU, which doesn't have a win on the season uh, to speak of. But the uh, Wildcat streak just keeps rolling along, Keith. Yeah, and in 60 years now is is uh, you know obviously a lifetime for for some a gener you know several generations. Um, there are other impressive streaks in D3. This isn't the the only one. There are other impressive streaks in college football, but this is by far the longest one, and it shows that um, you know that what they have going at Linfield not only is special, but that it's been able to endure. That there's never been one off year in 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 60 seasons and you know there was there were some other comparable or you know similarly similarly long runs um central of Iowa had a, had a long run going for a while and then they went 5 and 5 one season so um you know it, everything kind of moves in cycles eventually but for Linfield they uh they haven't cycled down over 60 seasons and what a what a amazing recruiting tool that is when they're going out in, in the Pacific Northwest there and in Hawaii and, and trying to bring kids on the campus and say, look, man, I you may have played for a loser in high school or for a team that was pretty good. Or you may have played for a winner and you want to keep on winning. Whatever the case may be, come here because we could pretty much guarantee you that you're going to have four uh, good solid seasons here at Linfield. And, and for Linfield, it's been 60 solid seasons. And this may be one of the most solid seasons in history, the way that team's playing right now. Uh, and, and more than solid. I was going to say when uh, when you're talking about Linfield not having had a down year or not having had a bad year for them, five and four is a bad year or the couple of six and threes that they've had uh, in the uh, let's see about 17, 18 years that they've been in Division three. But, you know, not a lot. And this year being uh, on the verge of being more than solid. Right. Uh, six first place votes. Number two ranking looking like a team that could challenge for the national championship. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but it does it does seem to be shaping up to be a season where um, the playoffs will be interesting because there's no real runaway team. There's a handful of of teams that look like they could run away uh, with their their particular conferences and, and make things interesting. Linfield uh, certainly dominant. Mount Union is right there, and, and Mount Union's working on a pretty uh, long streak of its own. Now, uh, for 94, so that makes we're over tw- over 20 years now um, of them uh, continuously winning the uh, the OAC. So you know they're they're take they they have to put put their streak. Um, you have to do that three times to get to Linfield's winning streak. I mean, it, it's just amazing for them to have done that for for 60 years. Yeah, it is. Uh, it it certainly is amazing. Uh, but I always say, you know, we uh, we just finished week seven. I don't think we're looking too far ahead when we're starting to talk about playoffs. Um, but um, it's Keith. Uh, this is one of the weeks uh, week that you were at a game. So tell us a little bit about uh, what you saw. I know uh, I'm I'm going to say you saw Washington and Lee, but I believe that you probably saw another team also. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh... The game was at Randolph-Macon, which is um, for new podcast listeners. That's uh, that's my alma mater. That's where I played in the 1990s, and um, things have changed a lot on campus, which which I think is um, I don't know if, if it's a little bit jarring to me or or it gives me a little bit of sense of perspective. Pat, you and I started this podcast when we were 
uh, fresh out of college, pretty much. Um, and our teams played against each other in uh, in college, so uh, we kind of had a frame of reference. And um, but but now this frame of reference is just getting it's getting much longer. And and as we talk about things like Linfield having a 60-year win streak. Um, I, I, get, I think about those kind of things when I'm in the stand. So, yeah, I was there on Saturday to see how good Washington and Lee was. Are they a top 25 team? They, they, they moved to 6-0 with a 97-yard uh, uh, back-breaking touchdown drive in, in the final minutes against Randolph-Macon. Um, but, but I thought, you know, for, uh, for me, I guess I'll get it a little later. I'll get into the conundrum that the generals present as far as top 25 voting goes. But I do want to take a minute and ruminate on what it's like going back to campus when you're when you're now old and somewhat detached from a place. Uh, I sat there at Randolph-Macon on Saturday, a place near and dear to my heart, um, but which has very visibly grown in the past 15 to 20 years since, since I was there. The, the field is now surrounded by buildings, kind of like uh, maybe not quite a Carnegie Mellon field, but, but a really it's just a much different place than it used to be. The, the field is oriented differently. And, uh, you know, I wondered as I sat there in the stands, you know, how do other D3 football fans relate? You know, how is my experience that Saturday sitting in the stands? How does that how is that relevant, I guess, to to others who uh, would be listening to the podcast. You know, a lot of you probably keep in close contact with your alma maters. Maybe you get to see them play every Saturday. But many, I imagine, especially podcast listeners, only get to follow it through us or through d3football.com or through the, the school website and, and only from time to time. So I was there checking out the alma mater of, of Adam Turr as well. He's a uh, around-the-region columnist and, and a former uh, WNL safety. And uh, it, it's just remarkable how time changes things. You know, except for Mount Union going to Salem every December, everything in D3 kind of cycles through and teams get to have their days. When I played, you know, we never lost to Washington Lee uh, at Randolph-Macon, and I, I didn't worry much about them. We had other teams, including your alma mater, Pat, who, that, uh, that, that pushed us to the brink. Those were the teams that we worried about. We felt they were the big threats. Uh, but, but as we see here in Week 7, we're seeing, you know, fresh teams across the country rise, Albright, Albion, now uh, – Top 25 worthy teams, fresh teams like Denison and Gustavus Adolphus and Whitworth putting Whitworth uh, putting their undefeated records on the line. It just reinforces for me what's so interesting about this division. You know, there'll always be the haves, like like Linfield, like we just talked about. There'll always be the have-nots, um, but in between is such a large middle class, and it led to a week seven with 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 not a lot, a whole lot of intrigue in the top 25, but really a lot to observe in these conference races across the country and uh, and ones that maybe don't quite make sense. Game balls. to game balls uh, and my bank game ball is going to go to Maurice Harrion we spent uh, some time talking about the effects of the uh, loss on Warburg and the, the Iowa conference race so give me a moment to recognize another member of the Spartan squad that's the running back who scored four touchdowns while rushing for 140 yards on 31 carries in the win uh, we should probably also recognize the defensive back who held Robbie Anstetter to four catches and 50 yards but I don't know if just one player would cut it. If it's the entire secondary or the entire defense, uh, that's more Keith's style anyway to uh, award a game ball to as many players as possible. 
Oh yeah, I'm getting to that. Uh, but but you got Maurice Harrigan. I, I wanted to get Maurice Harrigan. <laughs> Clearly, that was the guy who played the biggest role in the most nationally significant game of the week. But there were 231 D3 teams in action this weekend, so surely I can spare a game ball for someone else. Five sacks, maybe, for Mary Harden Baylor's John Isom. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. I'll get an email or a tweet if if I don't have that one right. Um, we did the Mary Harden Baylor defensive line earlier in the season, though, for a game ball. And as the resident defensive guy, allow me to point out the number of game-saving defensive stops that took place this weekend. Barry's Shane Edwards picked off Seth Peters to hold off Hendricks. David Van Ettersom had a key strip for Albion. Thomas Moore's Trey Wells had a key pick late in a seven-point game. Uh, Brunel Middleton came out with two late interceptions to seal a win over Ithaca for Brock- Brockport State. Uh, ultimately, though, and Pat, you called it, the game ball goes to Cortland State's entire defense. <laughs> the, the Cardiac Dragons, which is awkward pause. I, we may have to come up with a better nickname for them. Uh, they did it with defense this time. Six turnovers and two stops in the final minutes of a six-point win against Alfred, and they remain atop the Empire 8 for now. Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, I took your guy, but uh, I guess we can afford to send virtual game balls to everyone you just mentioned. Uh, please send a self-addressed stamped box to uh, d3sports.com headquarters, and we'll get your virtual game ball right out to you in you know six to eight years. Uh, right. Yeah. Um, let's see. My team on the rise, on the rise in the poll. Whitworth's the one new team in the top 25 this week. Uh, obviously that could be short lived as the Pirates face Linfield this week. But the reason I bring this up is because I want to remind people that Whitworth doesn't necessarily have to win in order to stay in the poll or stay in our voters. Good graces. Uh, I think our voters have definitely given teams a benefit for playing well, but losing. Uh, this particular game depends on the circumstance, but it's certainly possible. I, I, just a couple examples you can point to this year. Um, North Central losing to Platteville, not only staying in the poll, but pretty much treading water. I believe Platteville, uh, after they lost to Whitewater, might have actually gone up a spot, and they certainly continued to go up since then. So, you know, one thing that I really like is that our voters are very good at uh, recognizing when the poll was right. And, you know, uh, Linfield as the number two team in the country would probably destroy a good number of teams below maybe the 18 or 19 spot in our poll. So if that continues, if that happens this week, I, I think our voters are pretty good at recognizing that and uh, and not breaking what wasn't broken. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean you're not top 25 worthy just because you can't beat a top five team. Yeah, I mean, nobody else has beaten Linfield this year or really played them close. St. Thomas is my riser this week as the Tommies move from 9 to 7 on the overall ballot. Um, though not as much on the strength of the 78-7 win over Hamlin as it might appear. St. Thomas got a residual boost uh, this week when a team had beat 35-14. St. John's beat previously unbeaten Gustavus Adolphus 49-27. I moved the Tommies, who have been utterly dominant, up to 5 on my ballot, ahead of Wisconsin Oshkosh and Wisconsin Whitewater. On the uh, In the overall top 25, St. Thomas leapfrog Wheaton, and there doesn't appear to be a terribly good reason for that, but the Thunder plays the Little Brass Bell game this coming Saturday against North Central, and this is a huge Saturday ac- across a division, uh, so they might get leapfrog right back. Well, let's talk about Wheaton. That's a team that'll take a fall, at least the one that I've picked. Uh, fell by a spot this week, but I, I think more because St. Thomas edged past them. But what I'm concerned about is the state of the Thunder, who are, uh, shall we say, more than a little banged up. Um, there's some other injuries that uh, um, you know I'm not going to focus on right now, but I, I'm going to want to uh, really talk about 
uh, the quarterback spot, where there's some doubt as to whether Johnny Peltz will return a quarterback for Wheaton this season or, or in even in the next few weeks, and that would be a big blow. If you remember last year, Wheaton was winning some battles. Uh, you know, they were battling but winning games, and then Peltz took over midseason, and the Thunder really started rolling. Without him, I think they're going to be challenged in the remaining games, which include Illinois Wesleyan and, uh, as you mentioned, Keith North Central. Uh, Andrew Bowers playing hurt was good enough to lead Wheaton past Milliken, but if he's uh, if he's hurt and not very mobile, that's going to be a, an impact against the two top 25 teams left on the schedule. Yeah, certainly. For my team, that'll take a fall. Uh, Wartburg obviously plummets from 8 to 22 in, in the top 25, and, uh, and, and clearly... The Empire 8 no longer has any ranked teams, but I'm not sure that should be so. I kept Cortland State at 25 on my ballot ahead of Warburg, who I'd previously praised for what looked like a strong schedule. But I don't know that any schedules this season are stronger than the Empire 8s because there's literally not one easy game on the schedule. There's no Kenyon to hang a 35-0 win on. There's no McDaniels or, or Teal to rest your starters against. So yes, Empire 8 teams are going to fall in the top 25 and sure Cortland state pulled off another miracle this time, as I mentioned, the six turnovers and the goal line stand in the 20 to 14 win against Alfred. But I also think voters need and have done a pretty good job of, of keeping in mind that their six in record is not built on an easy schedule. Now, just for kicks, I looked up in the NCAA stats database, what the uh, strongest schedules this season have been Carthage Salisbury and uh, Wisconsin-Eau Claire have played the toughest schedules to date. Southwestern, Bethel, and Gustavus have the toughest remaining schedules. Both those MIAC teams play opponents that are combined 17-4 and four the rest of the way. And when you factor out that Southwestern has scheduled Trinity, Texas twice, St. John Fisher has the toughest schedule in the country when you combine both the games played to date and the remaining games, which, of course, proves my original point about the Empire 8. I find it interesting that the NCA stats database has Carthage, Salisbury, and Eau Claire as the top three schedules. Um, of course, that's not the strength of schedule rating that we use for Division Three football playoff selection. They have a, a slightly different list, but it speaks to the Empire 8 even more so. Carthage, uh, Alfred, St. John Fisher, Dubuque, and St. John's is the uh, top five schedules by the uh, by the Division Three uh, selection standards, which include only regional games, which is part of the reason why some of those things are different. Uh, but yeah, it would be nice if we had just one measurement for strength of schedule and didn't have to uh, didn't have multiple ones because why would why would we have just one? That would make sense. Man, it's that time of year again, Pat. We're going to start talking about opponents' winning percentage and opponents' opponents' winning percentage. <laughs> and that SOS figure is built on two-thirds of one and one-third of the other. And I believe in the NCAA stats database, it's just um, the, the opponents' records. Yeah. Um, yeah, it'll be fun. If you have not been through a, a Division Three playoff cycle before, um, we're going to be talking more and more about that. You're going to hear things like pools and AQs and all sorts of gobbledygook, which uh, we will do our best to explain. We're not just going to hang you out to dry and expect you to understand all of the lingo right away. Um, you know, this is a this is a show for everybody, not just for the uh, insiders and for the Division Three football geeks. Um, I thought we'd add another category to the uh, podcast rundown this week. And I think top 25 conundrum of the week, maybe conundrums, not the, the word that we continue to use going forward. And maybe this is just for this week. But, you know, my question is, uh, how do I treat Wartburg and Dubuque? 
Uh, I mean, for me, it's easy. I'm not currently voting for either one of them, but the poll has many, many more points for Wartburg than it does for Dubuque, and, and Dubuque crushed Wartburg this week. It's just one of those things where, you know, we thought uh, as a collective, we thought Wartburg was so high in the, uh, you know, in our estimation coming into the season, and they've slipped and slipped, and, you know, do, it's very hard for a voter to take someone from, you know, number four. I, there were some people who had Wartburg four on their ballot and drop them all the way out. Um, but I, I think that's the, that was the biggest conundrum. I think probably some voters took, hopefully a lot of voters thought about that this week. Yeah, I definitely spent some time with, uh, with Warburg, uh, ultimately didn't vote for them, uh, either Pat, but, um, you know, because it was because of the, I guess the margin of, of defeat, it was who it came against, but the case for them would be, of course, who they've, who they've played to date, uh, Augsburg and Bethel. Uh, aside from uh, from their um, their their normal conference schedules, uh, neither of those teams having a great season in in the MIAC this year, so it doesn't help them as much. Uh, certainly, beating beating Bethel helped them so much last season, uh, as far as the rankings were concerned. This time around, they don't have quite as much to lean on. Well, they are ranked ahead of Bethel now. They're both in the uh, well, Bethel's in the other receiving votes. I had Wartburg 13th last week, so I didn't feel so bad about dropping them all the way out, especially as you said, considering the margin of defeat. Yeah, sometimes you have to to reevaluate the entire thing. Um, my top 25 conundrum this week, whether to keep Washington and Lee in after I watched them go 97 yards in the final minutes to beat my alma mater. On one hand, they put together a clutch game-winning drive. On the other hand, the Generals needed a game-winning drive to beat a 1-4, now 1-5 team. Granted, that's how ODAC games are. The eight teams are generally pretty competitive, records aside, but... WNL is a team I could see giving someone else trouble in the first round of the playoffs because they run a spread option offense that looks like flex bone, seems to have some wing T blocking principles. But they're also a team that's not going to get a good matchup in the first round unless they run the table on the ODAC. And the last team to do that was Hampton Sydney way back in 2009. I've also talked on this podcast about top 25 teams getting one free pass on a grinded out game that maybe should not have been close. This is WNL's third straight one score win. Ultimately, I bumped Texas Lutheran and Rowan back into my top 25, which squeezed WNL out, and that's what made it uh, such a conundrum. So it's not because they beat your alma mater on homecoming? No, no, I, but I, I think they, for a top 25 team, a really good one, and, and this year Randolph-Macon not being being very good at 1-4, at again, now 1-5, um, you'd think, you know, 21-17 would be... Um, the margin would be more than that if WNL was truly top 25 worthy. But again, it happens to pretty much every good team. They have one game where they, they barely um, pull it out. And uh, in this case, um, you know, Macon had punted. The ball was downed inside the five-yard line. And uh, WNL quickly hit a pass to the tight end over the middle to give itself some breathing room and then methodically went down the field, scored with about 90 seconds left to, uh, to win that game. Yeah, I know Randolph-Macon's beatable because my alma mater did it just last week, if I remember correctly. Let's move on to uh, Off the Beaten Path highlight and cut off Keith as he's trying to respond. Yes, um, perhaps this is something that should be a little more on the beaten path rather than off, but I'm thinking about the MIAA race and specifically how Olivet scored two touchdowns, including a two-point conversion in the final two minutes to beat Hope on Saturday. 
Uh, Hope went up 27-16 with a little under four minutes remaining, but Braden Black found Kyle Bryson for all three of those scoring passes with a successful onside kick by Gunnar Aper coming in between to help Olivet take the lead. And then the Comets had to hold on. They committed a face mask penalty that gave Hope the ball at its own 48 to start their final drive. Uh, Flying Dutchman got down to the Olivet 39 and then threw a pick in the end zone to finish the threat. But yeah, Olivet and Albion remain tied for first in the conference, both undefeated overall. Yeah, you mentioned Albion. Their, their finish wasn't anything to sneeze at either, Pat. We talk all season about their offense, but they caused a fumble in the red zone and recover in the closing minutes to secure a 30-25 win over Adrian. But my off-the-beaten-path games are truly that. They had no relevance to a conference chase or a playoff spot whatsoever, but, man, they must have been fun to attend. Greensboro, just 1-4 coming in and coming off what had to be a painful bus ride home to North Carolina from Georgia after last week's 25, uh, 27-25 loss to LaGrange. The Pride had gone for two in that game, twice after fourth-quarter touchdowns, missed both, and lost by the two-point-after attempts that they didn't attempt. This week, Averett led by 13 with 13 minutes left after a Terrence Owen touchdown catch. Greensboro scores at the 10-minute mark and the 4-minute mark and lets Ryan Campbell kick both PATs. So this time, they're up by one, 48-40. Then, while Averett's driving for the go-ahead score, Micah McMaster picks off a pass, returns at 58 yards for an 8-point lead with 2.31 left. Then it only takes the Cougars one minute to score uh, and, and with a chance to tie the game. They have a chance to go for two, and sophomore QB Kelly Hall couldn't quite get in, and this time Greensboro survived the two-point conversion. They got to celebrate. Also off the beaten path, Hiram sandwiched two field goals around a Ronnie Jones interception return and got a Sam Conway field goal with six seconds left to beat Ohio Wesleyan 32-31 for its first win of the season. Dang, you can't even see the beaten path from those games. Well done, well done. Uh, let's see. Most surprising result. I think we've talked about the most surprising result, which, um, you know, would probably be on the, uh, on Massey's list of most surprising results of the season. Uh, so yeah, Dubuque Warper game. Uh, literally when I saw the score on the live stats, I started looking around for confirmation because it seemed so impossible. I thought maybe the, uh, teams were switched in stat crew, but enough about that game. Another surprising result on my list, uh, is Kings defeating Lycoming 30 to 26, uh, Lyco's definitely struggling this year at 1-5, but I was not expecting them to lose at Kings. Uh, Kings did a nice job controlling the clock, though, and Lyco only got to run 52 plays from scrimmage. Yeah, Lyco's uh, eight wins the past couple seasons. I think the past four seasons, they have three eight-win seasons and a seven-win season, so this 1-5 season for them is, uh, is a pretty big shocker. Dubuque, Kings, both great picks for surprising results. Mine goes to Merchant Marine beating Springfield 22-21. Taken by itself, just off name recognition, that's not a major shock for our listeners, especially if you don't follow the, the Liberty League. So some context for you. Merchant Marine hadn't won since the Secretary's Cup game back in week two, which was uh, the Mariners opener. Among their four straight losses were the three Liberty League games. Springfield was coming in off that insane 35-point second half last week against league power Hobart. The pride is, is positioned, you know, coming in to, to maybe win the conference. Then Merchant Marine goes 12 plays, 79 yards in three and a half minutes, and makes a two-point conversion pass uh, to take the lead with three minutes, 14 seconds left, and they hold on. 
for that one for uh, for a pretty surprising result. Also have to give an honorary surprising result to North Park beating Elmhurst 24-10. And Pat, you actually highlight TD Conway in, in triple take, so maybe it belongs there. Uh, but it's surprising that after Wheaton, North Central, and Illinois Wesleyan, we might end up with a team that once lost 90, not 19, 90 straight CCIW games. Uh, we might end up with them in the top half of the conference standings. Conway was the quarterback that day in 2013 when the Vikings beat Carthage for their first CCIW victory since beating Elmhurst in 2000. I got one more thing about that Merchant Marine Springfield game. 105 rushing attempts and eight passes. You see, when the triple option teams face each other, you're guaranteed two things. One is a short game, and this game took two hours and 15 minutes, and also two very well-prepared defenses. I mean, when you go against uh, when you go against that team in practice every day, now you just see them on the opposite side, and uh, and I think that certainly had an impact on why uh, Merchant Marine was so well-prepared for Springfield, where perhaps maybe Hobart wasn't uh, previously. Um, that was one stat of the week. Uh, I'm going to go into my official stat of the week, uh, which uh, comes from Salisbury. This is uh, one of the top rushing teams in Division Three over the past decade, and they set their school rushing record on Saturday. It was not against a particularly weak opponent either. The Seagulls rolled up 651 yards on the ground. That's 11 yards per carry in beating William Patterson 62-33. Uh, Jerome Johnson and Connor Canonico did most of the damage with Johnson compiling 204 yards on just eight carries and Canonico going for 164 yards on his 15 runs. Well, Pat, we did expect some of the NJAC teams to to struggle with seeing Salisbury for the first time. Um, those triple option teams, you get a see it see it a few times you get the blocking schemes down you, you figure out your defense and uh you know the second or third time you see it a lot of times the 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 defensive improvement uh, is, is a pretty big jump um for my stat of the week let's go to a non-triple option stat um John Carroll, we've been giving them a pretty hard time on this podcast for not living up to the standard that last season's team set but they are five and one after Saturday's win at Marietta one reason why the Blue Streak's offensive line hadn't given up a sack since Heidelberg's Ryan Malloy got to Jake Schaefer back in the first quarter of their second game. John Carroll has attempted 226 passes this season with just one sack allowed. Hat tip to that offensive line. That's That one sack allowed is just few, is fewer than Merchant Marine. I'm sorry, it's fewer than Maine Maritime. Then um, Maine Maritime's only thrown 63 passes this season. They've given up five sacks. And, and that one sack, that's the same number of sacks that Salisbury's given up. And uh, they've only thrown 48 passes a season. John Carroll, 226 pass attempts. All right. We've reached the time in the podcast where we take our medicine. We look at uh, Friday's predictions from Triple Take and, uh, and uh, give ourselves uh, pats on the back and then smacks upside the head. So let's see. Let's start with the smacks upside the head. Worst predictions from Triple Take. Um, you know, obviously we oh, couldn't do nearly as well as we did last week where we were, uh, we were pretty spot on on a lot of things. It was still a pretty good week overall. Uh, but let's see some of the misses. So, um, let's see, Ryan tips, uh, wanted to roll the dice with Rippin for a second consecutive week. They, uh, did well for him in triple take previously. Uh, but the, they did not give St. Norbert their first loss. St. Norbert, in fact, beat Rippin 48 to 14. Uh, I said Franklin and Mount St. Joseph would be surprisingly close, and it was uh, unsurprisingly just as unclose as you probably would expect. Uh, the rest of you would have expected 52 14. 
Franklin with the win. Keith, you keep picking surprisingly close games, uh, which you should be picking as upsets, I guess. The, the close team actually wins this particular one. Yeah, Loris beating Central 55-48 with a 28-point uh, a fourth quarter and a touchdown with 47 seconds left. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, I, I was just trying to hope UWO Claire might not uh, shoot the moon, I guess, is that the opposite of run the table? Um, they did not get there first when they lost to uh, I-94 rival UW Stout 45-12. Shooting the moon is, is good in, in hearts. Yeah, but uh, you 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 take every point, right? That's right. You gotta go back, go backwards. I got you. Yeah, uh, I know what you mean, Pat. You and I wrote each wrote a couple triple take predictions this week. They were kind of like um, hedging our bets or or being like, <laughs> I don't know if I really believe this pick, but I, I gotta put was, something in this category. That was that Eau Claire and, one for me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mine was the the Illinois Wesleyan upset. Um, although uh, Augustana it didn't look too bad in that one. Um, best predictions from Triple Take. This is where we get to pat ourselves on the back. And, and Pat, you and I were asked to pick an unbeaten team to lose its first game, and uh, we correctly picked it. Picked it. Wow. Yeah, you're the one who's making up words this year. That's good. Yeah, no, this is we uh, we we predicted Gettysburg. Uh, picked up its first loss, 41-13 to Muhlenberg. Pat, that was your pick. Uh, I picked Denison to pick up its first loss. Uh, they lost 45-14 to Wittenberg. Uh, meantime, Ryan correctly picked Hanover to get its first win, 28-21 against Anderson, a, a team that's also, I think, still in search of its first win. And, uh, and I picked uh, Worcester State on Friday night to beat Mass Dartmouth, which came into that game 3-3, three and three, and Worcester State did get its first win. Pat, you also got your guy, T.D. Conway, leading North Park to a victory. We get to mention that one more time here because uh, you correctly projected that in triple take. Well, uh, I say um, I, I picked uh, the, the ch more challenging part was picking North Park to win, I think. Um, actually, you know, uh, Conway had a uh, had a decent game, but uh, pretty much along his season averages. But uh, yeah, I'll take that. Uh, picking North Park to beat Elmhurst is uh, something that's a little bit out there. Did you say so? If I understand correctly, none of us picked Wartburg to lose to Dubuque. Is that correct? No, I don't even think it got mentioned in Triple Take. Maybe that's the worst pick of all. The pick that you didn't pick. I am so good at lightning rounds! Alright, lightning round. Let's see how quickly we can move through some of these things, huh? Uh, the second phase of that Gustavus schedule began with a, a loss at St. John's. Johnny defense made Gustavus really one-dimensional, and, and even that one dimension wasn't very good. 245 yards passing on 45 attempts. I dare say the Johnny fans probably weren't wishing, wishing uh, this particular week that Mitch Hendricks was their quarterback. Tom Kelly returned at quarterback for wisconsin Platteville, and he looked pretty good, at least on paper, in leading the Pioneers to a 56-19 win against uh, Wisconsin River Falls. Oshkosh is still with backup quarterback Jaden Esman, who was pressed into service last week against Whitewater. He only needed to throw 13 passes in a win against Stevens Point. All right. Speaking of Whitewater, running game gets a little banged up this week. Jordan Ratliff left the game with an injury and did not return. Jared Ware and then finally Tyler Glass were called on as replacements in a 30-12 win versus lacrosse on Friday night. I find that injuries are, are the hardest thing to track in, in D3, maybe because it's so many teams and, and yeah. there's so so little um, official information. Yeah, exactly. There's no clearinghouse for reporting. I suppose that's good because, you know, a lot of that I'm sure is driven by gambling and we don't uh, need to have that influence here, but it would be nice to have that information. 
Yeah, it's you know obviously it's hard to pick your winners um, when somebody's um, up in the air and uh, you know their playing status. But I think also just for 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 keeping track of uh, of who's good and whose seasons are, are going in which direction. Uh, a season that's going in a in a pretty high scoring direction. It, it was another week for with with a lot of points for uh, Illinois College as they topped the charts with an 83-10 win against Grinnell. St. Thomas scored 78, Maryville scored 70, and WJ Wheaton, Salisbury, Buffalo State, and Westminster, Missouri scored 60 or more. Lots of offense in week seven, much like lots of other weeks in Division Three football. Let's see. Uh, how about Barry College en route to the uh, first SAA football automatic bid? Obviously not clinched yet, but the Vikings have a one-game lead on both Hendricks and Chicago, and they have the head-to-head tiebreaker against both of them. So Barry would have to lose twice to get derailed. The uh, key game uh, remaining for them is they finish the regular season against Center. Center has two losses, so if somebody can knock off Barry before then, Center gets a win there. They would have head-to-head, and then who knows what else might happen uh, with other things in the uh, SAA standings that might determine that. And Barry and Hendricks both just uh, just third year program. So for the if they were to the Vikings were to make the playoffs and and they've done it pretty much this season with defense, uh, that'd be pretty impressive. Yeah, well, uh, they would, you know it would. Uh, I'm gonna go all playoff geek on you here. This would be very interesting for the bracket. As a, if a, a Georgia team gets in the playoffs, where do the, where does that team go? Uh, you got to see who makes it out of the USA South. Yeah, I guess um, so. That's almost like the automatic USA South first round opponent. And that then that would mean too that two potentially pretty weak weak. I try to find a nice way to say that, but you know the the not not the strongest conferences. One of those guaranteed to get into the second round. Yeah, uh, happened this past season with 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 Hudson and MIT, and that some some somewhere across the ballot that means the ballot the the thirty two team field that probably means there's an unbalanced game somewhere and somebody great is going to get knocked out yeah, in the first you, round. Uh, Barry is north of Atlanta, so I think within five hundred miles they could get to some of the places in Indiana or Ohio that might host first round games too. Now that's interesting because um, the automatic one you think of is South. You say if they can't get to Mayhard and Baylor, then they're on an island. But um, but if they could get to somewhere in Indiana, that um, presents a lot of other opportunities. Yeah. Let's uh oh one more thing from this week. Let's see. Saint Olaf got the goat back with a 34-27 win versus crosstown rival Carlton. JJ Sternad ran for three touchdowns in the second half alone to give the Oles bragging rights in Northfield, Minnesota, for the next 12 months and a trophy, you know, a nice trophy and the uh, the ability and the right to go walk down into town square and uh, turn the uh, eagle on the top of the war memorial to face their campus. One of the really cool um, kind of under-the-radar things in Division Three. Although you would have read about it in Triple Take. Hey, that was a game of the week. That could have been a game of the week. That was our sure. game. Of, that was my game of the week. Hendricks and Barry, that was good. What was your game of the week? You remember? I picked Gustavus and St. John, so mine was maybe the least game of the week game. Um, but, yeah, it was good. Tips was a good pick, and yours was a, was a pretty good pick as well. Looking ahead for next week, um, you know, uh, we're not going to be talking about the middle class, so I don't know which uh, particular debate you think this is. But uh, next week, five top 25 showdowns. Uh, we've already mentioned Whitworth's at Linfield, but uh, 24th ranked Texas Lutheran is at number three, Mary Harden Baylor. Number four, Wesley hosts 21st ranked Rowan. Number five, Oshkosh goes to number 12, Platteville. And the Little Brass Bell, as was previously mentioned, is on the line. That's 16th ranked North Central hosting 8th ranked Wheaton. Keith, a lot of uh, a lot of big battles among those five right there. 
Yeah, I think the most interesting, I mean, they're all interesting, obviously, but uh, but Texas gets pretty interesting soon because uh, uh, Texas Lutheran played Mary Harden Baylor close in the playoff game last season, the one that was uh, interrupted by lightning. Um, that actually had a pretty exciting finish, ended up being a seven-point game. Um, Texas Lutheran and Harden-Simmons uh, played earlier this season. Harden-Simmons won 35-27, so that was a tight game. And then Harden-Simmons still has to play Mary Harden-Baylor after. So there's a little bit of a round-robin going on there. There's going to be a round-robin in the CCIW between North Central and Wheaton. Then uh, Wheaton, Illinois, Wesleyan, North Central, Illinois, Wesleyan, all of them still have to play. And, uh, yeah, and, and the uh, Wisconsin is still interesting because uh, because there's definitely three good teams, three ranked in the top 15 right now. Is there three spots for them in the playoffs? Probably yeah. not. Well, if Platteville beats Oshkosh and the rest of them, those three, uh, along with Whitewater, continue to run the table, they all end up with one loss. Um, yeah, it'd be very difficult to not give the WIAC two of the six Pool C bids. Pool C are the true at-larges. Let's see what else. Um Sticking in the Midwest for a minute, uh, number six, Whitewater travels to Stevens Point, while seventh-ranked St. Thomas hosts Bethel. And if you're a Warburg fan, you get to follow up last week's loss with a trip to your arch rival. Uh, Luther hasn't beaten Warburg since 2005, but these aren't your older brothers, Norse, either. In the East, number 23, Salisbury's at Kane. Uh, Stevenson hosts Widener. Hobart plays host to RPI. St. Lawrence. By the way, surprise leader in uh, in the Liberty League. They travel to Springfield. St. John's gets a breather from the Empire 8 grindstone, but Ithaca's at Morrisville State. Alfred hosts Hartwick. Brockport State versus, visits Cortland State, and Utica hosts, hosts Buffalo State. I think Brockport-Cortland could be pretty interesting. Yeah, St. John Fisher, as they step out of the league, they play Alfred State this week. Uh, in the North region, you're looking at uh, Rose Holman hosting Franklin. That's a big game in the uh, Heartland uh, Collegiate Athletic Conference. Capital hosts John Carroll, and uh, Albion hosting Trine. We're uh, you know waiting on, uh, let's see, that Albion-Olivet game is October 31st, so it'll be a, a trick-or-treat possibly for the, uh, for the lead in the MIAA, but uh, Albion's got to get past Trine, which has played pretty well this season as well. In the South, the South in name only, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Pickett's charge here in the South. Gettysburg plays host to uh, to Johns Hopkins. Hendricks visits the University of Chicago. Yeah, that's South. That is. Uh, and then uh, and then Bridgewater, Bridgewater from the South, Virginia. Uh, they're at Washington and Lee, which uh, we discussed quite a bit in this podcast. <laughs> One of those games actually taking place below the Mason-Dixon line. Uh, and that was the Around the Nation podcast, number 138 for the week of October 19th, 2015. Thanks for listening in. Tune in for the rest of our coverage throughout the week. Hey, if you like this podcast, tell somebody about it. Share it with your uh, friends, your teammates, your coaches, your spouse, your fellow alumni. Uh, and then uh, give it a rating in your uh, iTunes store or in your uh, podcast app to help other football fans find it as well. And thanks, as always, for following Division Three Football on D3Football.com.